Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 152 of Control the Controllables. Today's guest was a Grand Slam winning coach before the age of 30. It's like a dream for every coach. Everybody want to win a Grand Slam, that's first. Second, everybody want to win a Grand Slam if they develop players since early age. And third, winning a Grand Slam, not losing a set is like, is like a dream for anybody. And you feel that she dominated on the court, she played well. So that was the best feeling in the world. And that is Piot Sherpatowski, the coach, or should I say the former coach of Iga Sviontek. He worked with Iga from the age of 15 through to nineteen twenty took her to being the Roland Garros champion in 2020 to top five player in the world and really went along that development journey. His story is amazing because he was working in his local club when Eager walked in and it's a great story to hear. It's a motivational story for tennis coaches to hear. He tells it in a way that is humble and I've been lucky enough to meet Piot a few times now, and he is a great guy, and he's an amazing guest to have on Control the Controllables. So sit back and listen to Piot Sherpatovsky. So Piot, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, and you? I'm doing very well, and we've been talking for almost a year now about getting you on the podcast you know you in sort of grande i can't believe it's been almost a year since you were over here and uh, what i what i like to start with piot on on these on these podcasts is everyone has their own journey into tennis and you know you've had a, a fantastic journey something that's moved very fast in the coaching world over the last few years but how did your tennis journey start my journey starts when I was, I don't know, like seven or eight, started playing tennis. My parents took me took me to the court, so it's nothing crazy. Uh, I was doing judo and uh, tennis at the same time until, I don't know, I was 13, 14, and then I sticked with tennis. So it's actually the time I started to help younger players with, uh, let's call it, hit, as a hitting partner, as a yeah. coach, because I have a younger sister, six years, who, who was like in need of somebody who will hit with her on the weekends. So everybody around was watching us and was asking me if I can do the same with other kids for, let's call it, some small payment. So, so that's, that's why I, I decided to stay only with tennis because it was already too much school uh, and two sports and, and let's call it some kind of coaching. So, so yeah, so then, then I stayed with tennis and it was my beginning of, of the coaching career as a hitting partner for younger, younger players than, than, than me. So you, did you not have the ambition 
to be a tennis player yourself? I wouldn't call it that I had no ambition to be a tennis player, but uh, let's say financially, I knew it, it's going to be tough for my parents to keep going with two players. And my sister was like that promising one. Uh, who suppose who like she was number one in Poland, like sometimes number two, but being close, getting good in tennis, Europe, Europe, European tennis. So she was the one who who's supposed to travel more, and I knew that expenses are 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 huge. So for me, it was like more like I loved tennis. I, I enjoyed every minute on the court when I get to the practice, but I was I was doing that. Uh, totally for myself so when I got a little bit injured or I was super extremely tired I was giving up a little bit I wasn't playing that many tournaments so I wasn't able to 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 like check my level accurately so I'm I'm happy where, where I am and I I wouldn't change that for anything and would you beat your sister at tennis yeah, like there was a time like in the end like I wasn't playing anymore and she was she was really hustling hard like she was close to to win some sets with me, and maybe she won even one. But but yeah, it, it was like for her it was a huge challenge to win with me. So I think right now she would be able to, as I'm not playing that much. But give me just two weeks and I'm ready. <laughs> and does she still play tennis? Is she still is she still playing on the tennis world? She she isn't in a coaching too. Like she lives okay. in Warsaw and she she is a coach too. So let's see where 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 it will go for her. And 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 I guess what I'm trying to do, Piot, is 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 set the scene a little bit because I think certainly being British and I I can talk about the the British way um, very very comfortably. I can talk about the Spanish way very comfortably. Now I've been here for twelve years, but I think in general in tennis. It is quite hard to to get opportunities to work with high level players unless you have already played at that level, or if you have already coached at that level. And that's what I I, I love about your story because I think I think your story shows people that there is a place in this tennis world for somebody who who is young, enthusiastic. Who, who was then able to learn their trade working with a young player. And, and obviously your name has become a global name because of your work with Iga Sviontek. And, and I believe Iga was around age 14 when, when you first started to work with her. So how, how did that come about? Tell us, tell us that story. So Iga was 15, actually. It was 2016 after Roland Garros. Uh, she did really well because she went from qualis. It was her first, I think, or second Grand Slam uh, juniors. Uh, she went from qualis to quarterfinal. And in the meantime, her coach said he's not going to work with her anymore. So, uh, so they finished their cooperation. And I was actually at the, working at the club where she was practicing. And my boss came to me that they are looking for some some opportunity to would I be able, able to help them to hit with her a little bit to to fit some balls and just to take care of the logistics when she's at home. So so I said, of course, I don't have an experience for that. And I think she was already top 30 in the world in of, of juniors. So 
let's say I, I knew that even for that level, my experience wasn't that great because I worked with younger players at the, at the time. So it wasn't that easy decision, but they said to me like, okay, so we start working with you. And in the meantime, we'll try to find some main coach yep. who's going to be in charge of the team and going to be still on the team, but let's call it second assistant coach who's going to be traveling because we don't know if we're going to find somebody who's going to be committed 100% and you can. So you will be here, you will be with us and you will develop as a, as a second coach and maybe in the future as a first coach. But then we started looking, even I was helping them to find somebody who is a good coach. But at this time, she didn't find a good connection with anybody. So, so she, she, they asked me, like, after two, three months, they said, like, we, we like what you do. We, we can stick to that. And we, we love the way you, you, you do practices so, and how you organize the staff. So maybe you don't have an experience, but we would like to, to start working with you. And it, it was really smooth. Uh, and yeah, like you said, maybe I didn't have enough experience for even 30 in a word junior, but I think it's most like, more like about what you feel and if you have a plan and you feel what you can do, sometimes you go with a player, even on the highest level and you don't know what to change, you know, like what's going to improve a player. Everybody thinks that they know, but the truth is like, it's not that easy, like you have to have a goal in your mind and you have to look for opportunities to improve as a coach to improve your player so for me of course is a great example that you you have to be in the right place you have to hustle hard you have to be humble and you have to look for your opportunities and if you get them you you have to make them you know like happen because i know a lot of coaches who had some opportunities and they never never did it so it's like the the biggest problem because for me most of the coaches have huge ego and like they are not listening to a players which is really important and how old were you at that point so how when you first started working with eager 2016 how old were you 24 25 it was like before before my 25th birthday so my best player at the time was like number four in tennis europe under 14 uh, with who I started working when she was nine or 10, something like that. So it was a, a quite good result too. But that's all. Like, you know, no, no other projects we've been, which have been like extremely good. And what was it? How did you deal? Because if we take that story, so she's 30 in the world and juniors at 15. So very clearly has a, has a, has a bright future ahead. And just over four years later, she's the Roland Garros champion, you know, so it's, it's a pretty quick rise. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty quick journey. I would imagine along that journey in a sport like tennis, there's lots of people that want to be involved. There's lots of people that like to say, well, actually, no, no, no. Now you need a WTA coach. Now you need somebody who, who has worked with players that have won Grand Slams. How was that journey for you in terms of the pressures that were on you? And how did you deal with that at such a young age? Success has a lot of fathers. So it's always like, you know, it's tough to, to because you have so many advisors at the point when you start winning. So whenever Iga won something, whenever she won, for example, Wimbledon Juniors or she played well in, in Juniors, there have been like people around who've been trying to to get into or just to advise to change a coach of course i had i had problems like maybe not a problem but 
there been a time that everybody was trying to get there. But I think like Iga and father and everybody around, like if we are, we are going, you know, stable and rising up with rankings and we are improving. So what's the point of changing? Because uh, you change when something is not working and everybody, everything was working. We've been improving really fast, but I wouldn't call it the fastest because there are some players who got to the top much quicker than Iga. But we are from the country, which is not like, you know, well tennis specialized and it, it took us a little bit longer i had only one wild card through the career i believe in if she had some more it would be easier to get to the top but not that easy to stay at the top so right now she believes that she really belongs to the place where she is so so i think it's it's the best way but you say you say don't change when something's working which this is very logical. This is a very logical way of thinking. So what's your what's your thoughts on Emma Raducanu, who, who came through very similar, I guess, to, to Eager in terms of being a good junior, coming through age 19, winning, winning a Grand Slam in the US Open. And then the next week she removed her coach because she felt she needed someone with more experience. So the, my question is like, they played together in juniors, uh, Wimbledon, when Iga won. Uh, and it was actually pretty easy match for Iga but, uh, at this time. But uh, my question is, how many coaches did she has have like this year when she fired him? Because I feel like he wasn't the only one working with her that year. And I wouldn't say, like, of course, it's great that they did great. But still, it's kind of way like you are looking. You are looking for a coach. So I, I would say they've been like, for me, it wasn't like a true cooperation. They didn't work for many years. They didn't work even for many months. So yeah. that's the question. So how important is a coach? So if we take, if we take Eager, would Eager have become a top five player in the world almost regardless of who she worked with? Or do you think that the coach has a really important role to play in that in my opinion like sooner or later she would get there but i'm not 100 sure it would be so smooth it would be so great you know like easy because it seems easy from outside it wasn't from inside but from outside for sure it seems easy and it's like good like tennis is changing you have different time zones you have to travel different people around so you are looking for the constants which are, if your team is constant, it's way, way easier to find something to catch with, to be to stick with, and just to do stuff you believe in. So it's way easier to, you know, to use your skills on the tour, which is tough. That, that sport is really tough. I don't say like other sports are not, but tennis is absolutely devastating for a mindset, and it's really difficult. Because it, it, it also, one thing that really hit me, when you were in at Soto Tennis before before the clay court season last year, was was what a great team you guys were, and and and, and I think a couple of things stood out for me, Piot. Was one one was how close you all were. You know, it really felt like you know you were you were a family. You know, all together, all all working. Um, I even remember when we I met you first at the at the apartment. I almost didn't recognize 
anybody to the point where I didn't really even recognize eager. It just looked like a family was moving into, into the apartment. You know, there was no big standout celebrity way, way, way of acting. And the second thing that stood out to me is everyone seemed to really know their roles and, you know, Eager was one of, seems to be, to the best of my knowledge, one of the first players to travel with a sports psychologist. You know, you then brought on Mike James as a performance analyst within the team. You then have got the the, the fitness team and the, and the physio team, you know, and, and it really felt like everyone knew their place. So for you as the lead tennis coach, how was that to always, firstly, always have a sports psychologist with you as part of the team? Because I think that's a little bit different to how a lot of tennis coaches have worked in the past. You know, I wouldn't just say about uh, psychologists, but I would say overall, like, I think we are not able to have so much knowledge to guide the player in everything. If somebody is saying so, I think he's, that's what I said about ego. It's like, or bad ego, or like not understanding the world. So why we wouldn't hire, if we have resources, people who knows better than we are? You know, it's Absolutely. like easy for me. It's I understand that I don't have to be a, I don't know, specialist in tennis technique. I can hire somebody, even if it's my role as a coach to do tennis technique. But overall, as a team coach, like like you said, like a coach of developing player, most important part is planning and programming the practices. It's not about if she going to or he going to play perfectly technically, you know, like look at Daniel right now, Medvedev, who is playing with the technique you wouldn't teach anybody on a court, but it's, it's this, this technique is working. So, of course, you can bring always different people to a team, try to find a holes they can support you if you know, like you said, who is responsible for what? Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and that, and that really, that really shone through with you guys. And I just want to touch a little bit on the the data analyst side because when when we spoke about this, you know, you you explained it really well to me on on how you were all using the data analyst not just to scout opponents but actually as a development tool for Eager, you know, and maybe if we've got a, a 30 year old, 35 year old on the tour, that, that's not necessarily looking to develop their game, that they're, they're using data analyst to, to, to scout their opponents. And, and I thought it was a really progressive way that you were thinking. And, and then the second thing that stands out on that as well, Piotr, and I'd love your thoughts on this is you also talked about keeping the freshness in practice and making sure that you've got fresh content with the player to be going into training blocks as well. And, and again, I just think it's a really progressive, no ego way of thinking. Uh, so what were your thoughts behind that when you guys had the data analyst in the team? I, I tried to guys before Mike, actually, and I, I'm right now really good friend with him. And for me, like, I didn't ask him for scouting at all. Yeah. I feel like it's one of my best, you know, uh, skills to scout the opponent's player. And I love to do this by myself because then I explain it well. But uh, scouting your player who you spend time with and you don't see the stuff you should see. Sometimes if you are out of the team, it's a little bit easier because you are from the side. You know? 
So for me, numbers never lies. That's the first thing. Second is I feel like this is what statistics should be used for, not for scouting. Scouting is some, something like you feel it or you don't, but numbers are really useful to, to improve your games and to improve your game overall. So like you said, I, I started working with him and straight away there was the first guy trying to sell me scouting. And now we go to Roland Garros 2020. You know, a, a, a quite incredible, incredible run, an incredible achievement, uh, not dropping a set, hardly, hardly dropping games within, within the set. How was, how was that experience for you? Oh, come on. It's like a dream for every coach. You, you, nothing I can say more about it. Like everybody want to win a Grand Slam. That's first. Second, everybody want to win a Grand Slam if they develop players since early age. So maybe not super early, but still as a junior player. And third, winning a Grand Slam, not losing a set is like, is like a dream for anybody. And you feel that she dominated on the court. She played well. She did exactly what you asked her for. So that was the best feeling in the world. So I was just happy. And how did your life change? Because again, I, I asked Iga this same question when we had Iga on the podcast. And it was almost like now you are have gone from being maybe somebody famous. I mean, Iga in particular, but the coach of a of a Grand Slam champion in a country like Poland. I would imagine almost overnight your fame and life changed almost forever. Uh, it's good that not for, for people working around Iga changed that drastically as for her, because it's not easy to handle. Uh, and you have to be really prepared for that. And right now I know it's really, really important. Uh, but overall it changed. Yeah, people are looking differently at, at you. You're going to a, uh, to a shop every day and everybody's like looking at you, but you are at the level, I think the worst one, like they know you, but they don't know from where, you know? So <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like difficult to handle, but for you guys different as a player, like you going to a store and everybody is asking for photos and autographs, it's different. But overall, like, like you said, a, a lot of a lot of things changed, but it was good. It was pandemic, like masks on. And, you know, we've been traveling for the tournaments from preseason for preseason. So it wasn't that bad. I would say that right now I have much more, let's call it power, power of, of words. Like if I say anything in Poland, everybody is listening. It's I'm not, you know, I'm recognizable, recognized right now on, on you know, like coaching level. So, so it's different, but I wouldn't say it changed my life. So it was tough for a, for a while, but right now it's okay. Uh, right now, I would say right now that <laughs> I feel a little bit like a celebrity when I finish the co when we finish the cooperation, uh, which is not a good thing for me because it's like you know I'm a coach. I, I work behind the scenes, so it's different. And and you talk about the finish of the cooperation, and and I think. It's like when you're at school and two people split up, you know, what, what was it? Is it something that you both wanted? Is, did that come from eager? Did that come from yourself? And, and, and how are things between you now? I would say that something like um, collapsed in our, uh, let's call it relationship, coach player. Uh, and it wasn't that good for the last few months. So 
it just came to the end to the end and i felt like it's the right way to go but yep. she took that that decision and she made it like with the world class so i felt like it's the only right way i i just didn't make make it by myself so i'm happy with it right now and i hope she's happy with it too and she can still develop as a player because i put a lot of effort for her to be a good player so Right now, I you know I only wish her best, and I hope my career will will still go on like like it was in the past. No, I'm sure I'm sure it will, Piot. And uh, what my one question, and one of my last questions, because I know we're under a little bit of time pressure, is you're still so young, <laughs> and you've you've already had so much that's happened in your in your coaching career. How's how's your philosophy? Well, firstly. What is your tennis philosophy, coaching philosophy, and how has that evolved and changed over the last few years? I think I learned the most like last two years on the tour. And I would say it gave me so much, you know, knowledge. And the knowledge is not about tennis. It's about any sport, anything you do in your life, which is you have to plan and be ready to adapt. And for me, this is the most important part. You cannot be unpreferred. You have to be, to, you, you have to always have something on your mind. You have to be ready to be uh, changing stuff because sometimes things happen. You don't know what is going to happen. And you don't, you cannot be, you know, like stubborn and trying to do the stuff which don't work. If, even if you truly believe it should work. You should be really, really adapting to a situation which is happening. And in terms of that, on the WTA tour, what again it really hit me when when we first met Piot is your your openness to share, your willingness to to talk, to talk openly about your thoughts, your your feelings, uh, your philosophies. Is that something that you found on the tour that other coaches were open to that as well? I would say a little bit yes and a little bit no. There is no one good answer for that because everybody is different. And uh, this is my philosophy for, uh, you know, two years, uh, maybe a little bit back in time too. But I didn't, you know, like I didn't write wrote it down for myself. So, so still I was going exactly the same way, but maybe not so specific. But on the tour, I met a lot of different people, like people who are great coaches, people who are great managers, people who are great in some things and are really bad in others. And everybody has a own own journey and everybody has own set of skills. So you can still be a good coach even if you don't have something, but you have to be really open-minded. And right now we can see that there is a lot of young couch, coaches on the tour who are differently they have different approach than coaches who used to work like for for a few years for many years and they are looking for opportunities to improve and this is i think like the the part of the coaching group i am in so so i i love to that way of thinking and i i really believe it's it's important and then and then you have the superstar of of, of the women's tour on the coaching side patrick moritogalu you know, is he someone that you've been able to get close to? Is he someone, what, what are your thoughts on, on Patrick and, and what he's brought to tennis? And is he someone who personally you've managed to get to know? 
like we 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 had a small chat once we we wanted with Iga go to to his academy but nothing really serious i would say uh, i i won't be saying anything about his coaching because i i saw him only a few times on the court but overall as uh, somebody who is promoting coaches over the world around the world and you know uh, showing the important import, how important coaches are and building the marketing around it and i'm really thankful for that because not a lot of coaches does it because we, like i said we are working behind the scenes so it's good to have somebody who is uh, making the marketing for us and of course i would love to do to have more coaches like that to make it to to show what we do what 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 is our job what is our work how we live so as a coaches you and me we should be thankful for him no he's opening a lot of doors and then now we've got the netflix show that's coming from the australian open as well which i think is got to be a good thing for our industry as well so people can people can really see the work the work that does go on now my my last last question before the quick fire round is what's next for piot because you've like i say you're age 30 in and around 30 years old you're already a Grand Slam winning coach. You've had an amazing collaboration with Igor Sviontek for five years. You're now in a position, there's obviously rumours that are circulating around what happens next with you. So what's next in the short term and long term for you? So to clarify, I'm, I'm not working and I'm not going to work with Simona. <laughs> That's the first thing. But yeah, right now I started a trial period uh, cooperation with, with another player and I hope I'll come back to the tour, but no rush. We have to see if it's going to work out for both of us because I feel it's really important for coach to feel that he has, he has some opportunity to improve as a coach and to improve a player. So let's see. I just began, so I don't want to say loud with who is it so so let's see what the future holds for I, us. I i understand that and how long do you see yourself do you see this is your future for the next 30 years on the wta tour it's obviously a big commitment you're giving your life to support somebody else's life uh is is this something you think there's a there's a shelf life of how long coaches are able to do it or is it hard now to see you doing anything else you know, for me, I know it's not like a lifetime. You cannot do this for, for, for so many years because then you have to start your own family. You have to start some businesses. It's not possible to do that like, you know, for a whole life full time. But of course, it's possible to uh, do, do it for a whole life part time. Right now, I'm at, at the moment, like I'm in a stage where I can fully commit and I can travel whole year. So I love and I want to take advantage of it and be there and try to do as much as possible, as soon as possible as I'm able to. So, so that's it. Like this, 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 like, it's, so right now I'm taking opportunity because I feel like it's a great time for me and I can improve. But in the end, uh, I know it's tough to do this long, long term, like, because your health, your family, everything around it's tough to set up and being like able to, like you said, to commit 100% your life to for somebody else's life. Well, good luck, Piot. I'm, I'm not going to tell the listeners what part of the world you are in, 
because that might get people starting to talk. But good luck with this collaboration. And and I'm sure whoever it is and whoever is lucky enough to have you in their corner is is a very fortunate person. You know, you're a, you're, you're a great guy, uh, uh, someone who's a, a great coach and doing it without ego. And I think that's my big takeaway from when I met you. And it's my, my takeaway again from talking to you today. And, and I wish you all the very best of luck. But are you ready for our quick fire round? Yes, of course. And thank you so much. What does control the controllables mean to you? Like to take seriously whatever you can really control and don't care about the stuff you you cannot predict so it's like for me it's like like you said philosophy every day in a life like i i'm not really worried about the stuff i don't control what's your favorite grand slam uh, i would say the favorite for me is australian open come on how do you you've got to say roland garros surely uh, I, I would love to, but I think like I, I have, the, if you ask me different, different questions, probably yes. Like uh, what kind of game I love the most, I would say on Roland Garros. What, which tournament you feel the most prestigious, it's going to be Wimbledon. But overall, every, every aspect of organization, which is really important for players and coaches, I think Australia is doing the best job. Your 90% of people answer the same thing that are on this podcast. So you're in the majority. Forehand or backhand? Forehand. Clay All cuts. day long. <laughs> Clay courts or hard courts? Uh, hard courts. Serena or Venus? Serena. Roger or Rafa? Ah, uh, that's a tough one, but Rafa. Medical timeout or not? Not. Let cords or net cords or not? Let Lewandowski or Messi? Oh, come on, easy Lewandowski. <laughs> What's one rule change you would have in tennis? Uh, coaching allowed or not allowed? Allowed 100%. And who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Oh, have no idea. <laughs> come on, PR, you've got to. You've got to have a guest. It's your. It's then your responsibility to get them onto the onto the show. You've got to keep the baton. You've got to keep it moving. I, I would say. I would say my past friend from the team, like friend, he's still my one of the best friends. But my past coworker, Maciej Ristruk, who is great guy as a fitness uh, preparation and physio, he has absolutely outstanding knowledge. And this is the guy you probably want to talk with. Brilliant. Well, I'll be in touch. You've got to give me the hookup. I don't know if I have him on WhatsApp, but I'll be in touch to get him on. Piot, all the very best. And let's let's stay in touch and, and, and keep up the great work. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, too. And it was a pleasure. Sorry about my connection, but I don't know why I'm in one spot. And sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. That's OK. Your, your knowledge and insights make up for the lack of connection. So the, the, the <laughs> listeners will forgive you. Thank you so much. Okay, take care, man. Good luck. So I can now I can now tell you what Piot was doing. I with all of my guests, they have my absolute word. If they don't want me to talk about a subject or to share something, then I don't. But uh, apologies for for some of 
the bad Wi-Fi throughout that because Piot is is in Miami right now and he was on his way to training with Shelby Rogers. Now, I'm only saying that because a few hours after our conversation, all over Twitter, someone announced it and they found pictures of him at training. So he's going through a trial period with Shelby Rogers. The reference he made to Simona Halep, we talked about that off air. Uh, a couple of different stations picked up that maybe he was on his way and put two and two together and got six because they they knew that Simona Halep was after a new coach. Piotr had just finished with Iga and he was on his way. So he's now in that world and I, I, I talked about it uh, throughout the podcast and before the podcast. He is such a lovely guy. We had the pleasure of having him here in Sota Grande for seven, ten days with Eager before the clay court swing in 2021. And what what a lovely guy, first and foremost, Vicky. Yeah, he really is. We talked about it last year, didn't we, when you spoke, to, when you had Eager on the show. The whole group, not just Piot, but the whole group when they were at the academy was so lovely, so down to earth, saying good morning to everyone, goodbye, chat, stopping to chat to people, eager, chatting to all our players, taking pictures with whoever asked. They were just a lovely, lovely group. And I think breaks the mould of what we think of a tennis coach at that level, because I, I went and played a little bit of golf with Piot when he was here almost a year ago now. And I was amazed at what what things he was telling me, and the insights that he was giving me. And he was he was sharing so openly. Now I love that about him, and 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 I love that I I almost would call him the modern day coach. You know the fact that he doesn't he's not fueled by ego and needing needing to be the person that does every last thing. You know, he's really bought in to this integrated approach you know bringing in the different members of the team making sure that he's got the right expertise i've i've always said i've said for a long time now that tennis is very similar to to formula 1 and everyone knows their roles and if those roles those roles are done well then it makes for a much easier life for the driver and it seems to me like piot almost plays that role of team leader who's who's bringing all of the the different people to the roles that are needed and does it in in a very calming calming way but a, a very assured way as well for somebody who is so young and I don't know if that's had an influence on Eager as well because she also had a very wise head on her shoulders seemed very calm and together and I think that came across um, while she was with us and when you spoke to her on the podcast um I really liked when he said, I don't understand why you wouldn't hire, if you had the resources, why you wouldn't hire people who know more than you do. And he talked about ego, didn't he? Ego that coaches had, but he seems very comfortable in his position within Eager's team to focus on what's best for her, what is going to bring in the best support to develop her. And I'm sure he'll do the same, whether it's Shelby Rogers or whoever the lucky player is that he works with next. Again, I think it's a it's an interesting topic. There's there's lots of things that jump to my mind, Vicky, on that because I think it's going to be interesting him working with someone from a different culture and a, and a different level of expectation. I think that's the first bit. I think coming from a country like Poland, it, it is a little bit easier to just get on with your job. 
you know, and I would imagine up to a certain age, himself, Eager, Daria, the sports psychologist, um, the, the fitness coaches, they could almost just just do what they need to do. And I think there's then a certain security that, that comes with that. It, it After she won Roland Garros is maybe when the problems started to happen because all of a sudden she was a bit higher profile, expectations go up. And, and, and ultimately, as good of a job that Piot did, he did admit that the last few weeks and months were a little bit tricky with Eager, you know, and it's it's not easy to keep all of those relationships going. So I think it will be interesting to unpack that, or that's not really any of our, any of our business, but it will be interesting on, on what happened there. But I think the, the, the second point I want to make, and I think this is really important for all of us, whether you're a player, parent, or a coach is there's a lot of confidence and reassurance that you take internally if you if you prepare well and he made it very clear one when he was here at Soto Tennis Academy and two on the podcast that it's all about planning get the planning right in whatever it is that you're doing and he made a comment to me actually when he was in Soto Grande where I said oh look let me know if you want more courts. It's not a problem. You've got the court for two hours, three hours, whatever it was. And let me know if you want more. He said, no, no, no. He said, we, 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 we won't do more. Eager does what she is programmed to do. And, and there was almost like fun sessions were programmed in. So then it was like, can I have a couple of your boys to come in and play play dingles and play these different games? But again, that was all part of the plan. So so I think- Football, they'd always do the, the football warm up, always fun. Yeah, always. And, and, and But all of these things were quite meticulously planned. And I think at, at that level, when we're talking about taking a player from 20 in the world to 10 in the world, 10 in the world to 5 in the world, that planning does become a big part of that. And once you've planned so effectively, then it's just about then just doing the job and every member of the team doing their job. So I think the, the assuredness comes from that. I have no doubts he's going to be a big asset to Shelby or, or whoever he works with. He's, 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 got, he's got a grand slam behind him now. But I also have no doubts that there will be some challenges ahead for him because I think going from, as I said, going from working with someone from the same country, having that experience into working with someone who's already a top 30, top 20 player in the world. Expectations are high. I'm sure not every single relationship will will work out the same as with Eager. Um, that that being said, I wish, wish him the best of luck and whoever it is that does get him next is, is very lucky. And on that note, I'd like to say a massive thank you for Piot for, for giving his time up. You know, I know it was a busy time as he was making his way across the highway to the practice session. So, Piot, if you are listening, you're a top man. Thank you very much. And if you haven't already, I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode with Eager. She spoke very openly, didn't she, about her experience at the French Open. And Piot said, actually, it wasn't a quick rise. But from 15 to winning Roland Garros at 19 I would say that's really 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 quick and yeah I just she spoke very openly to you so that's episode 114 so control the controllables.co.uk forward slash 114 and another great lesson 
And as we've said on the last couple of podcasts, we are very honoured to have been nominated for the for the Sports Podcast Awards. Your votes mean a lot to us. We need all the votes we can get, so please see that in the show notes as well. I'm pleased to also announce that our, our next guest coming in a week or two is Barbara Shett. I am so excited. Sorry, Barbara Shett Eagle. Eagle, sorry. Barbara, sorry. <laughs> See, you can't, you can't blame the, you can't blame the spelling there. Sorry, Barbara Shett Eagles. Now that she's been married for only twelve or thirteen years, I don't know how I've not quite <laughs> picked that one up. Um, but yeah, what a great guest she is. You know, coming number seven in the world, big, big commentator, presenter on Eurosport. Many of you, if not all of you, will know Barbara, and she is going to be a great guest, I have no doubt. So lots more exciting things on the horizon. Hope you are well wherever you are in the world. You know, keep playing tennis, keep smiling, keep staying healthy. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables.